If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans uh, chapter 10 is where we are tonight, Romans chapter 10, and uh, I think we're going to try to take it in about in probably two sections here tonight, and uh, what we normally do on Sunday night is we'll go through our lesson together uh, in about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then we'll have some questions towards the end, uh, and uh, we want to cover, there's a couple of really great passages you need to underline or highlight in chapter 10 tonight, but there's also something, if you'll permit me, uh, to chase a little rabbit, I want to talk about one verse that's often taken out of context, and we'll do that in our study together as well. So we're in Romans 10, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 from the New King James Version. And we'll go down through verse 13, and then I'll, I'll jump back in and, and give some commentary on 14 through the end. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. It's a quote from, Deuteron- from Leviticus 15, by the way, or Leviticus 18. Then verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy. The very next verse says this, verse 7. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What do we say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which which we preach. That if you confess... With your mouth that the Lord Jesus, or the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." Now, I think it's very important when we start this that we see the context going back to chapter 9. Uh, we studied on uh, Wednesday night. And we recognize that what Paul's trying to do is show that Israel, though they were the chosen people of God, the nation of God, they had failed in some respects. It's the reason why the law is now fulfilled and with Christ's coming and then his death, 
the old law has been basically shelved, we might say. It's kind of, it's been fulfilled and it's time to move on to something else. And Christ establishes his new covenant. And Hebrews does a great job of explaining how this works. So here Paul is saying the old law has been done away with. So therefore his love for the Jews, for them to seek salvation, has to take center stage. Because now he recognizes that though throughout his life that was the faith of God, that now it is faith in Christ Jesus that's saved. That's very important because he's going to emphasize the name. I want you to see that, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will emphasize repeatedly here in the text. Now, along with that, we have to ask ourselves the question, why did they become a vessel of God's wrath? Why is it that God started the new covenant. Well, the first thing we can say is that was the plan all along. Go back to Genesis 3.15. We can go through the Old Testament and see prophecy after prophecy of the coming of the Christ, the establishment of the church. For those of us looking back, it's easy 2020. We can see it. But we also know that with the coming of Christ, the establishment of his church, bringing the new law, a lot of things that they had been taught from childhood were being erased the eroding. They're gone. There's no need for circumcision, uh, no need to avoid certain foods, and it takes a generation of Christians to grasp that. And Paul struggles with this because he knows the people whom he loves, who he has ministered to, if you will, throughout his entire life, have gone from a state of being saved to, at the time of Jesus's death and resurrection, to a state where they're lost, that they have to now learn a new law. They have to learn the new covenant. At this time, it's coming through the words of the apostles. That's why it says in Acts 2, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Is they're learning from the words of Jesus. Jesus sent them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helped to bring them into remembrance all the things that Jesus had taught. And so now they're preaching and teaching the New Testament doctrine. And as it's fulfilled throughout Scripture, uh, detail by detail, prophecy upon prophecy, now we come to an age where things are starting new, fresh. So the writers of the New Testament begin to write down the teachings of Jesus, the messages to the churches or the added bonus, because through the Holy Spirit they wrote letters, and we've collected those and put them in, put them in our book together. So we can read through the words of the gospel and the words of Jesus. We can also read through the letters of Paul and of Peter and James and others that show us how we're to live our life in Christ. And it's interesting, too, how you can be removed from the uh, culture of that in the first century, some 2,000 years later, but it is as relevant today as the day that they picked up the the quill and wrote it. So we see all this emphasis on the change, and this is where where Paul's going to do a great job of showing the transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And he does that by emphasizing baptism in chapter 6, but specifically in chapter 10, it is about the name of Jesus Christ. So the reason why God turned his, I don't want to say turned his back, but basically abandoned that model is because now you can only be saved in Christ Jesus. And so one thing that, that Paul brings out is that God was punishing these religious elite men for establishing their own version of righteousness. Uh, the best way to put that in, in layman's terms, I guess, for me, is when someone begins to tell you something's right when they have no biblical foundation for it where they say this is what you need to do, what you must do, without a scripture reference. And they began to teach certain doctrines, which he calls the traditions of men. Isaiah actually prophesied that that would happen, by the way. And as they begin to teach these doctrines, they teach them as commandments of God, as if they're, they're as, as valuable, if not more so, to the people of God than they were in that day. Now, here's the fear that I have. 
The fear that I have is, as humans, we, history repeats itself. Cycles repeat themselves. And so what the Jews did is established an elite group of people who told them and taught them what the Scripture said. It's interesting that after the establishment of the church, some 2,000 years later, many religious people have done the exact same thing. They have selected certain men that they feel they're deemed as holy or righteous or special. And so since they're on a pedestal, they write the laws and the commands. They put together their catechisms and they put together their their, uh, creed books. And those become the standard of the entire church. But see, Jesus died to erase those barriers between those that are in leadership and those that are a part of the body. In fact, we're all seen multiple times. Paul will say here we're equal. Jew, Gentile, male, female, all people have the same salvation in Christ Jesus. You're not in a culture where the Jews sit down here, and and if you're Gentile, you sit way over here. You're not in a culture anymore where when you worship, you can't be in the same building based on your race. We don't live under those laws anymore. There's no law that says we can't eat certain foods. Uh, There's no laws like like there was under the old law of every single sin you commit. There's a certain uh, style of prayer or a certain style of sacrifice that you must offer, but the ironic thing is today, a lot of religions have done exactly that. That if you sin in this way, well, you say this so many times, or you go and do this so many times, or you go and offer so many acts of kindness, and it erases the guilt of sin. Jesus died to ensure that would never happen again. And that's the reason why we have his holy word. We don't need, uh, we don't have to have someone tell us what to do. We can read it for ourselves. And if we're ever a part of a church where the Bible is not taught, we better move because they're not moving our direction. So the Bible, as it's presented, and Paul, again, writing these words, is saying you have to focus on Jesus. And he specifically says repeatedly the name of Jesus. So were they being punished? In a way, yes, because they refused to obey God. Maybe it's no clearer than when Jesus is in that crowd and they decide that they're going to, Pilate's going to try to pass the buck a little bit. He says, it's a custom here among the Jews that we release a prisoner. And he's wanting to get Jesus released because he doesn't see any fault in him. And they cry out for Barabbas. And so, so damaging are their words is that they say, let his blood be on us and on our children for the rest of our generations. If we're wrong in this, we will pay the price. And oh, they did pay the price. In fact, the Bible teaches us as we begin to read in Acts and then we see later in the prophecies that come true in Revelation, there were people that had pierced Jesus. They had, they had abused Jesus that actually came to the knowledge that, wow, wait a minute, we were wrong. Peter takes advantage of this in Acts 2 when he talks about them present, what they had done. And he tells them very clearly, whom you crucified, Jesus whom you crucified, he has made Lord in Christ. And so they're pricked in their heart. And they say, well, we were just uh, not too many days ago saying, if we're wrong, then we'll take the penalty for it. And our children will take the penalty for it. What a dangerous way to approach a, a problem. They should have just simply said, we don't want anything to do with it, just like Pilate, but they refused. They wanted him dead so bad that they were willing to set curses upon themselves and upon their families for the rest of eternity. What a terrible way to look at it, but that's what they did. So Israel had every opportunity to accept Jesus, 
As we go through Jesus' teachings and his miracles, he performed miracles for Jews, right? He, he did many great things in front of them. He raised the dead. He, he, uh, he healed the sick. All these miracles we're talking about on Sunday mornings. And throughout all of that, they still rejected him. There is no doubt in my mind that the crowd who was crying out, crucify, crucify, were also some that had stood saying, prophesy, prophesy, give us scripture, give us more miracles. They had seen the things that Jesus did and it impacted them, none at all, not at all. And I can't imagine watching someone I know that's sick and be healed to go then to a crowd of people and say, well, crucify him, crucify him. But those people knew the value of having a teacher like him. Even Nicodemus, is a part of the Sanhedrin, could come to Jesus and go, there's something special about you. You've got to be from God. There's no other way this kind of thing would happen. And so God has to remove his presence from that temple. And he removes his presence from the Holy of Holies. Tells us that the veil was torn from top to bottom and the graves of the saints were opened. And as we see it, the course of human history was altered. Jesus fulfilled the promise of the garden, the prophecies of old, and now a new covenant is established. And a new, if we'll say, new congregation, if you will, no longer is it one nation, but a congregation of people that are brought up together from all different walks of life can be a part of his kingdom. Now, I want to focus on this because if we'll understand this, it'll help us as we move forward. There are some people that will take verses 9 and 10 and say... That's all is needed for salvation. Um, <clears throat> have you ever walked in on half a conversation before? You, know, you hear something and you go, what did I just hear? Well, you didn't get the first part of the conversation. You're only coming in on the tail end of it. Or it's really bad if you've ever gone to a movie. In fact, I, I, don't, I don't ask the guys we go watch movies with. I don't take a drink and I don't eat popcorn. Uh, you know why? Because I don't have to get up and leave in the middle of the movie right? I don't want to have to get up and leave. You drink a lot to drink. You have to get up and go. I, that's not me. I don't like watching half a movie. I can't start a movie on one night and finish it the next. It's just, I don't operate like that. I will be stubborn and watch the whole thing through. It's hard for me to do that. It's difficult to understand, understand a conversation if you're only going to take one little snippet from it. And I want you to notice in your Bible, it's probably like mine, on verse 9, do you notice that T on that is it lowercase or uppercase? Lowercase, y'all with me? When it says that, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, do you see that? Do you see verse 10? Where it says for with the heart. That's a new sentence. But the last part, verse 9, is a continuation of Paul asking a rhetorical question in verse 8 when he says, but what does it say? Speaking of the scripture, speaking of Jesus' coming, speaking of Jesus' resurrection, he's highlighted verses from Leviticus and he highlights about four verses here from Deuteronomy to show this was God's plan all along to send Jesus to the cross, to establish a new kind of righteousness that is not the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, but the righteousness of God as taught by God alone. The only standard is the Word of God. And so he's showing them that Jesus' presence in the world is not only to die for all mankind, but to establish a new law, a new covenant. And therefore, he heavily emphasizes the fact that we must confess and we must believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to share you a couple things here real quick to, to, if you have friends that bring this up. It does not say that if you confess with the Lord Jesus and that's all you do, or confession alone saves. 
Some people will use this verse and they'll go back to Matthew 7, you know, verse 21 through 23, and they'll say, well, you know, Jesus said if you don't call and say, Lord, Lord, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So all you got to do is say, Lord, Lord. This confession and this name that is mentioned in the name of Jesus is in action. Belief is action. And so confessing the name of Jesus is important. It's part of the steps of salvation. But believing upon the name and confessing the name and calling the name are all important phrases that basically need to be studied separately. Calling on the name of the Lord. Let's look at that. When he says here in that last verse, verse 13, which is a prophecy again. We'll go back and we can see that in, uh, in Joel 2. Calling on the name of the Lord. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, to get this in the context, go back to Acts 2, and you'll see that Peter preaches this from Joel. He clearly tells the audience on Pentecost, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? So Peter, help me. Paul, help me. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord in obedience? And they ask, what do we need to do? How do we do that? How do we call upon the name of the Lord? And he says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for missionary sins. And then he says, and this promises to you, to those who are far off, and to as many as the Lord our God will call. You see that? So Paul and Peter are preaching the same thing. Go back to Romans 6 and you'll see this. Paul and Peter, Peter, Peter are preaching the same thing that Joel prophesied of in Joel 2. To call upon the name of the Lord is to act upon, in the name of the Lord, obedience. Anybody could call on the name of the Lord. In fact, there are a lot of people that do it in vain today. They get hurt or they say something and they'll just use the Lord's the name, name of the God flippantly. So anybody can, you can name your son Jesus. You're calling on the name of Jesus. Does that save you? No. When it says calling on the name of the Lord, go back to Joel and read of his prophecy of the coming church. Read of his prophecy of the coming Christ. In order to confess, we then begin to become obedient with our mouth but also more than our mouth with our actions. And so as Paul teaches this here, and, and he'll continue to go into it in other places here in Romans, is that we've got to be active in our faith. Anybody can call on the name of the Lord. This idea of calling on the name of the Lord or just speaking his name is really foreign to the New Testament. It's not about calling out to God. Anybody can call out to God. But acting upon that belief and that faith in God is what leads us to do what's right. And nobody would know that better than Paul. Because in Acts 9... Jesus appears to him on the road, and he says, go into town and be told you what you must do. Well, what did Ananias say to him? Did he say, get up, call on the name of the Lord? Oh, he did in Acts 22 and verse 16. It's not recorded in Acts 9, but in Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias says to Paul, and why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, invoking in the name of Christ Jesus, in his salvation, he confessed Christ, and in his belief in Christ, he was buried in baptism with Christ. And so it's a process. It's not just one individual thing. So when you see calling on the name of the Lord, get the context. This context is seen throughout Paul's life in Romans, uh, or in uh, Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22. Again, go back to Joel 2. I'm giving you a lot of information here, but this is a great passage because a lot of people will take this and misinterpret it. And they say, all you gotta do is just call in the name of Jesus. That's all it takes. Well, we don't have a single example of anybody doing that in the Bible. But we do have examples of people calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 2, Acts 9, Acts 22, that part of that process was being immersed into Christ Jesus. 
for the remission of their sins, remitted by Christ Jesus. Salvation is only allowed by Christ. And not only that, there are other places there in Acts. You can go to Acts 4, and you can see the, the admission that is given to the people that are present, that there is only one name by which man can be saved, which is the name of Jesus Christ. Our faith in Christ, our confession in Christ, our burial in the body of Christ, being raised up to be a part of the church of Christ, all invoke the name of Jesus. But all of those steps are necessary to ensure salvation. If only one thing was necessary, if all it was was confession, that's all i got to confess Jesus. If all it was was confession, then there are many stories in the Bible we don't need. We wouldn't need Acts 2. We wouldn't need Acts 8. We wouldn't need Acts 9 or Acts 10 or the explanation of it in Acts chapter 11. We wouldn't need Acts chapter 16 and two conversions there. We wouldn't need Acts 18. We wouldn't need Acts 19, which all contain stories of not just confession, but a baptism into the name of Jesus Christ, because you can't be saved without confessing him and being buried with him and being risen with him. And that's why he puts those three things together in Romans chapter 6. I know that's a lot of meat there, but hopefully that helps. We'll take a moment here in just a little bit for some questions on that too, if you have some. So he builds on it now. Verse 14, these rhetorical questions continue. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, Faith is the first part. And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad, good, glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Yet I say, have not they heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out for all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? For Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul basically, <clears throat> as lovingly as he can, says just believing in God did not save the Jews. Believing and calling on the name of God did not save and does not save the nation of Israel. Calling on the name of the Lord is only a part of the process. Now Paul tells us how we can learn how to be saved by him giving us the example there in verse 17. Where he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Each of those conversion stories <clears throat> that I mentioned <clears throat> have preachers who preach, who share the gospel message. And it is our responsibility to ensure that people hear what we call the whole counsel of God. Hearing the gospel is important. Confessing Christ is important. But there are other steps that are taken in faith to assure us of our salvation. And this is what he's getting at. As Israel went through all these steps and these hoops, thinking that that would save them, their heart wasn't right. And there are others who their heart was right, but they didn't take the necessary steps. And Paul says, let's put it all together here. We're going to call on the name of the Lord. We're going to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to do all these things, but then we're going to walk in it. And this is really a very important part of Christianity. Uh, Billy and I were talking the other day. <clears throat> he was talking about a, a, a preacher that he went to visit, uh, a, a black preacher. 
And uh, they were growing. They were having like four services a day. I think he told this here in the pulpit, but I'm going to remind you of it. And he said, uh, how are you converting so many people? And he says, well, I tell them that they need to be evangelistic. They need to get out and preach the gospel and share the good news. And he says, does it work? He says, well, yeah, it works. Because I tell them they're going to go to hell if they don't. So uh, we, we see that and say, well, what, what is my responsibility as a Christian? Well, I am a minister of the gospel of Christ. And I'm not talking about me individually, but I'm talking about each of us individually are to be sharing the gospel message. We need to be introducing people to Jesus. We need to be introducing to people the word of God. I'd encourage you, if you haven't done this, to buy a stack of Bibles. You can buy some good cheap, you can give it the dollar tree now, right? A buck and a quarter tree. But anyways, you can buy little Bibles and keep them in your car. My grandpa always left his car unlocked and he left a Bible in the dash. And one time I asked him, I said, why do you do that? And because if somebody takes it, he said, they need it worse than I do. And he left his Bible in the dash. Uh, we need to have Bibles that we can distribute to people. We need tracts that we can distribute to people. We should have on our person, or at least within our mind, some things that we want to say or should say if asked certain Bible questions. And one thing we can do is point them to our church website. We can point them to places where they can, you know the Gospel Plan of Salvation is on the Getting to Know Your Bible website? It's also on the summerdalechurch.org website. That way, anybody who types anything about a church, in our community anyways, we'll, we'll populate in those top numbers. If you do Summerdale churches, we're on the top. So if you do that, you can tell people, go check out our website. They will find the plan of salvation at some point. But it'd be even better if you shared it with them. If you talk to them about it, anybody can put a track down, anybody can hand a Bible out. Those are good things we can do, but maybe highlight some passages of Scripture. If somebody talks to you about Jesus, go up to them and say, you know what, we talked about Jesus the other day, and for whatever reason, I thought maybe you might like to have a Bible. And I've marked some of my favorite passages in it and hand it to them. I'll tell you, if somebody hands me a Bible, in fact, I'm a sucker at, at you can ask Misty, when we go to these little shows and shops, uh, little antique stores, I always go to the books and I look at the Bibles. And I see written in the front the name of the person that it belonged to. And I think how sad that somebody said they're going through grandpa's stuff. We don't want this. We're going we're gonna to put it in the, in the sale pile. I, I have all the Bibles from my grandparents and from my parents. Uh, I even have one from my great-grandmother. And I treasure those more than anything I have in my possession because I can see where they read their Bible and they highlighted passages and made notes off to the side. And literally, I am walking the walk of faith with them, though they've been gone for generations. And so I look at these Bibles and I see these names that are written in it. And I see the, the devotion that they had to God. Uh, and it, it really brings tears to my eyes. I read one that was from uh, 1890. I think the Bible was written. It was an old King James Bible, and it had written a family tree, and I thought, I wonder if the grandchild or great-grandchild that got rid of that copied that family tree, because there are probably some names in that list they didn't even know they're related to, and so I've always treasured Bibles, so we need to, we need to share Bibles with people. We need to have copies of them to give to people and tell them how valuable of all the things they own. That's the most valuable thing that you'll ever have in your possession is the word of God. And so he says, if you have faith, it comes from hearing the word of God. And so we need to share the word of God. He talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. And he's not talking about per se the visual of the feet, but he's talking about how wonderful it is when people walk or go somewhere to share the good news. Uh, it's about effort. So let me put this thought into your mind. He shared with us the necessity of faith and believing and, and making the 
first step, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's put emphasis on confessing it with your mouth. He's put emphasis upon uh, putting that into practice. So we see from Romans 6, he's talking about baptism. He's talking about repentance. But now he tags in here at the end the necessity of those who are in Christ to keep sharing the good news. If someone gives you something and says, share it, you don't keep it to yourself. You share it with other people. Now, I know it's hard. It's really hard. My mom would give me stuff, and she'd say, share it with your brother. Uh, it depended on what it was. If it was cookies, I might save one for him, right? With our brothers and our sisters and people that are around us regularly, we share. Sometimes we're a little stingy with the things that we have. But when it comes to the gospel, we can't be stingy. We've got to share it with as many people as possible. And so the emphasis here is sharing the word of God with other people. Take your feet and go share the gospel, and other people will continue to hear, and they won't suffer the same fate as the Jews did, he speaks of, who had all these practices but didn't have anything in their heart. And he says also, too, something fascinating, that even though the Jews were there in the temple and watched services and participated in services, Paul emphasizes that there are some that are so far from Jerusalem that will be saved while people there are lost. And I'll give this thought and we'll take some questions. I think there are probably a lot of people that will be in heaven and will be shocked to see them. So I didn't know that you were a Christian. I didn't know. But I think also there'll probably be in people in heaven, there will probably be people that didn't make it that we'd be shocked that they didn't. Because they're where they need to be. They do the things outwardly that they need to do, but inside they're not anywhere close to God. And so when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And we, we spend time in worship, Bible study, evangelism. Those are all good things, and those are necessary. But God also has to reside within our heart. And so just because we come and we sit on a pew, just because we post Bible verses on social media, does not guarantee our salvation. And if we know anything from Romans 10, Paul says it's great to have faith, but you better act on it. We've got to use what we have and share it with other people. There's an obligation to take the gospel into the whole world. And if this generation, can you imagine just if this generation decided we're not going to do that? We're not going to do that. We're not going to go and do foreign mission work. We're not going to engage in evangelism. What would happen to the next generation? Well, there wouldn't be a next generation. But what if each one of us on the flip side shared the gospel with just one person this week? Now make the, make the determination this week. I'm going to share the gospel with one person. What would happen? Well, again, just like the story I told in the invitation, it's limitless. Literally thousands upon thousands could become a Christian just by us sharing it with one individual. And that includes with your children. Share the gospel with your children. Talk about Jesus frequently. Talk about the necessity to be a part of the New Testament church, uh, to, to follow the Bible wholeheartedly. Do all that it says. All the words of Christ need to be read and followed. Emphasize that, and it might change uh, not only the generations of, of many, but more importantly, those that you love the most, your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. There's a lot of meat here in chapter 10, and he's going to talk more about this in chapter 11 and talk about the rejection of Israel and why God chose to, to make a change. So I'm going to take a break here. Uh, Tyler, would you mind coming? I think Casey did it last week, didn't you? They did it the last two weeks. So I'm going to pick on Tyler here for just a little bit. So what questions do you have regarding Romans 12 and these thoughts? There's a lot of good verses here, 9 and 10, 14, 17, um, when it comes to calling on the name of the Lord. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions? Because if not, I'm going to ask. Yes, Billy over here. He's coming.
things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. In Joel 2.32, quoted in Acts 2.17, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. To, be, to, to call on the name of the Lord to be saved is equivalent to entering the door, to being in Christ, which is equal to or equivalent to or the same as believing and being baptized. Uh, case in point, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, the Corinthians called on the name of the Lord. What did they do to call on the name of the Lord? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, they obeyed the gospel. What did they do to obey the gospel? Acts 18 and 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. So that's one thing. According to Acts chapter 11 and verse 17, we repent. I mean, in Romans 10, 9, we confess unto salvation. So there we, we confess unto there's a difference in into and unto. For example, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip was teaching a eunuch, they came unto a certain water. Mm -hmm. And then they went down into the water. There's a difference in unto and into. And in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, they, they confessed, they, they, they con believed unto. Romans, Acts 8, uh, rather 11, 17 says you repent unto. Mm -hmm. Going back to Romans 10, they confess unto salvation. So if you do, if it's just like coming unto this building. Well, you're not in it till you open the door and walk in. Then you're, you can say, I'm into. So if you believe unto, repent unto, confess unto, how do you get into? <laughs> into Christ. You obey the gospel <laughs> yeah, by the being gospel. baptized right. into Christ. That's right. That's great. That's a really good illustration. What other thoughts, questions, comments? What's that? Yeah, that was, that was great. That was, that was really good. The, the idea, too, of uh, why I, I wanted to ask this question is why people only want to emphasize the belief part or the confession part. It's easy. It's the easiest part. Uh, it's easy. If, if uh, and this is an important point to grasp when you talk to people that just believe all you got to do is pray and accept Jesus in your heart or people that believe all you got to do is speak the name of Jesus or speak the name of God, really, uh, the name of God, the name of the Lord. If everybody who did that was saved, then we have a lot of religious friends that are safe, you know, because we have friends that are of all kinds of different religions that believe in God. I mean, even technically, if you're going to go convert people that are Islamic, you're going to use the name Allah in the Arabic language to describe God, even though their version of God, Allah, is totally foreign to the New Testament and the Old Testament. But if, if anybody could just call in the name of God, then we have a lot of religious friends that are Hindu. They believe in gods, but they also believe in a chief God. So then why would we even take the opportunity to talk about Jesus? If, if only calling on the name of the Lord is, is necessary to be saved, they don't need to know anything about Jesus. They don't need to know anything about the church. Anybody could be saved. But that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. So when we see this, uh, this expression of prayer, nowhere in the Bible do we see the sinner's prayer. It's not there. Um, and, and even if there are examples of prayer and salvation experiences, like, for instance, in Saul's in Acts 9, it's not prayer that saved him. In fact, he was still waiting for three days until it was to be told what he needed to do. 
And so uh, confessing Jesus or being a believer in Christ is, is easy, but that's done by just simply saying a few words. And uh, Jesus, of course, has already said, there's going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, and they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Says, All you got to do is confess the name of Jesus. Well, confessing the name of Jesus is important, but it's not the only part. Like Billy said, unto, you're getting to that point where you have to get through the door. And Jesus says in, Mark, or in uh, John chapter 14 uh, that the only way to get there is through him. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets the Father except through me. So we put that with John 10. Like he said, he's the door of the sheepfold. He's the good shepherd. Uh, we need to be able to enter into Christ. And so it is easy to confess. It is say, I believe. That's easy to do. But, but Christianity is about action. It's about being able to go out and live your faith. Uh, he talks about being a shining light. What good is a light if you're going to put it under a bushel? What good is it if I'm going to say I'm a Christian and I don't act like it? Or what's, what good is it for me to say I believe in the gospel, but I'm not going to share it? So it is a, an active religion. And, and for some reason, sometimes... There are some even New Testament Christians that want to always take the easy road. I had a man one time at a church I preached at, and he said, you know, Ray, I don't need a mansion. I don't need a crown. I don't need any of that stuff. I just want to squeak in. Tell me the bare minimum. And I said to him, of course, I was only about 19 years old at the time, and back when I used to say things that I didn't care what the consequences were, I said to him, well, with an attitude like that, I don't know if you're going to get there. If you just want to squeak in, you know, I just want, I, I just want to get in the door. That's all I want to do. I just, if I can just cross the line. And I said, with that attitude, I don't know that you'll make it. Is God, I, I love you, but what's the least I can do to pay you back for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for me? And spending 4,000 years to ensure that to happen. What's the least I could do? That's, that's a terrible way to look at Christianity. In fact, I should be looking and saying, what more can I do? Yeah. The practice of, the, 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 of calling on people to just repeat a prayer is a relatively new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. it, it started possibly some 100 years or so ago when that was a preacher by the name Billy Sunday. Mm -hmm. He's sort of a street preacher. Had a lot of people following him. He had a lot of responses, so-called responses to his preaching overwhelmed him and so they began to call on them to pray over him and and then some of these other preachers following him another preacher by the name of billy billy graham followed pursuit in 1955 graham was in a campaign in, in some city i don't recall the city there were a number of preachers from the churches of christ that met with him to ask him what he intended to preach in that crusade and they asked him if he was going to preach baptism was essential to salvation. And he said, no, he would not ask him why. He said, if I did, I wouldn't have the crowd. This is all about preachers getting followings and the ones you see on television. It's not just about followings, it's about coins. That's right. It's about money. That's what it's about. And they're deceptive. They're telling people a lie and they're going to have to give an account for it when they stand before God on the day of judgment. The Bible says it, I believe it, and, 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 and I'm going to preach it, and it's still there whether I preach it or not, whether I believe it or not, still true. That's right. And that's a great, that's a great thought, too, is that we, we have to see why certain traditions get started. Uh, it's foreign to the New Testament, so it must have been done by someone, by, by a group of people. And that's kind of how it got started, uh, is that they were just trying to pray over people and then hoping that they would go and find a New Testament church. 
Uh, and to be quite honest, uh, the, the faith that we uphold and the teachings that we teach are not popular with a lot of people. They're not. If you talk to somebody about baptism, and they're going to say, well, I baptized my kid when he was a baby. I took him in, we sprinkled some water on his head. And you say, well, that's not baptism. And goes, oh, yes, it is. No, no, well, not according to the New Testament. And they say, well, you're going to get into all the languages? Well, yes, I am. I'm going to get into the languages, but also by the examples. And so people are not only redefining salvation, they're redefining baptism. And so we have to be very careful when we talk to people about religious matters that we go to the source. And I know that there are times we get caught off guard. Somebody's asked us a Bible question and we may not know a good answer. But there are way too many resources today for us to be uneducated on things. We need to be able to study on these type of things and be able to offer a good defense for what the Bible teaches. And so uh, you will have people, you probably know people, that say, all I did was say a prayer. That's never found in the New Testament. Never. Not one single example. Um, and so what makes it easy is I just have to say it one time, and then once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Uh, and I think that's a dangerous, I think I've taught this before, is that I would, ne- I would never, ever, in any stretch of the imagination, tell a child, all you got to do is believe, and then you do whatever you want. That I can't imagine telling a kid, look, you just got to believe, you just got to say Jesus' name, and you're saved from here on in. Well, then why would I go to church? Why would I read the Bible? Why would I represent Christ? Why would I be? And that's the brand of Christianity we have in the world today, as they've been told, the whole generation's been told, all you got to do is say, Jesus is my Savior, and then you can do whatever you want. You're enrolled in heaven. There'll be a lot of people on Judgment Day that'll be lined up going, man, I called on your name once, Jesus. That ought to save me, right? No, it's not going to work. It's great to have faith. It's great to speak our faith and confess the name of Jesus, but that action is what God is looking for. It's not just a, and they did that in the Jews. You look at that in chapter 11, we'll get to next week, is that they just simply, they just simply said, well, I'm Jewish by birth, so I'm saved. You know, I didn't have to do anything else. But there were many of that faith. Look back at, even in Moses' time, uh, with, with the rebellion of Korah and all these, where the, the earth just opens up and swallows people. Just because you were born into a certain family or attended a certain place does not ensure your salvation. Faith is in action. And so our, our faith has to be uh, lived out on a daily basis. Yeah, Crystal. Okay. Um, I have nothing against everything we've said. I just want to share my experience, if that's okay. okay. When I was um, probably mm, fifth, sixth grade, maybe younger, um, there was a little Baptist church down the road, and we got toted back and forth, my family, because my parents didn't take us anywhere. Um, and so VBS, my neighbors came and picked us up and took us there, and that's where I learned about Jesus. And that's where I learned about um, the, um, all the miracles he did. Okay. And not every miracle, but a lot of them. And um, that's where I learned about the sinner's prayer. It mm-hmm. was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took it to heart then, and uh, and I thought I was saved for the longest time, until I met somebody in high school who taught me the whole gospel, and the fear that overcame me when I heard the whole gospel was um, overwhelming because for so many years I thought. I was saved, and here I was, you know, coming to the truth 
And all of those years, I had all these role models and all of these friends that believed right. the same thing. And um, <laughs> it was kind of crazy because when I went back to school, they were like, what? No. And so I really didn't have a close relationship with some of them anymore. Um, and then I found out a few people who were Christians that never talked to me about it. Right. And that shocked me because... There's so many people out there speaking not the whole truth right. very boldly, mm-hmm. and we're holding it back. Yeah. Or I, I, I know I'm guilty of that, and I shouldn't be, but right. there's so many out there that hold it back. Whereas I probably would have learned of it sooner, but God put me in the path that I was in to learn right. the full gospel. And I think part of that, too, is, I appreciate you sharing that, is that I think part of it is, too, one of the reasons why a lot of, especially uh, if we've been a Christian for a long time, maybe our parents were Christians and we became Christians early in life, is uh, for whatever reason, we don't want to offend people. And I think part of that is just by our nature. Um, we, we don't want to have to tell people they're wrong. And so there is a, a movement, even within the church today, of a certain group of people, it's a small group, that want to try to make Christianity more vanilla. You know, it's, it's going to blend a whole lot easier. And so instead of stepping out and saying, this is what the Bible teaches, they, they present a generic gospel and uh, kind of a watered-down version of Christianity in an effort to try to bring in fellowship people from other groups who say, well, we're, we're kind of alike in a lot of ways. And so it's good to talk about our similarities. That's a great place to build on. But we don't talk about the, the weightier matters. We don't talk about the most, most important parts of the gospel message. And I think there is a fear. I have that fear sometimes that we need to present uh, consistently what the Bible says, even if it makes people uncomfortable. And I know that I know we can do that in love. We don't have to be harsh with it. But if we're going to be become this vanilla group of people that we, you know, we just kind of we go with anything, then I think we're doing not only we're we doing a disservice to our own faith, but it's robbing God of His glory. It, we're either going to teach the whole counsel, or we shouldn't teach it at all. And and we need to we need to be taught. Maybe we need to do a better job of teaching when it comes to evangelism how to present the gospel message in a way that it convicts people. Because there are sometimes people intentionally will say things to try to get a jab in or, well, you know you're going to hell. And that's, that doesn't work. But what does work is to teach like Jesus did. You know, you take people out to eat. Uh, you talk to them. You go to their homes and you talk to them. You, you go to their place of business and you, you, you give them your business and you talk to them. And you win them over with your friendship. But you do not in any way compromise the truth. And, and there are some, and I know this is tough, but there are some difficult, uncomfortable conversations that you have to have. And if you, if you feel like you can go through life and not have to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone, if you're a faithful child of God, that's a must. You're going to have to make some people uncomfortable and say, well, that's not what the Bible says. You know, I love you. I appreciate your zeal. But the Bible does not teach that. And, and open a Bible and say, show me. 
Show me where it says that. Um, so we have to be more bold. We have to be consistent. The last thing we need to do is start bringing more people in going, yeah, you're fine. Come on in. You, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, everybody believes that Jesus is the Son of God, just about. Is it, well, you, you know, y'all teach baptism over there, but, you know, you do worship with this and that. But we're going to bring you in anyway. And we just kind of want to make everybody so comfortable. And uh, Jesus came into this world to make the Jews uncomfortable. So we have to learn how to better talk to people and maybe, first of all, defend our own faith, why we believe what we believe. If you don't have a biblical basis for what you believe, it's very hard to teach it. And I can go stand in a classroom at any time and talk about whatever. You, know, you can put me down here and I teach astrophysics, but after five minutes, they're going to figure out I'm a fake because I have no clue what I'm talking about. I can have a conversation, I can present a message, I can introduce myself, but after that, we're lost. And so when it comes to my faith, I can say that I'm a Christian, but I really need to be able to defend what the Bible says. It's important for me to do that by reading the scriptures. Roger, I'll give you the last word. Brother Ray, I think, I don't think I know that we should be more like Paul because Paul always stood his ground yeah. and believed in what God had told him and Jesus had taught him and we like you just said, we, we need to stand our ground and we might hurt a lot of people's feelings, yeah. but it's just like sowing the seed. Mm -hmm. Some goes on stony ground, some with the thorns, and some falls on fertile ground. So mm -hmm. uh, we don't just give up because of one or two people, because I've talked to people about mm -hmm. the gospel and they were hung up on this right. thing of all I have to do is just believe in yeah. Jesus. And I just, you know, I tried to talk to him, but it just wouldn't do any right. good. So, Well, there are Fairweather fans in sports. You'll see them as the season gets better. They'll start wearing the shirts again and the hats again. We have a lot of Fairweather Christians that, that when it's good and important, you know, things are going good, they'll, they'll represent Christ. But when times get tough, they, they may abandon their faith. So... Um, so it is, it is very, very important we learn to, to share the, our faith, share the gospel with people, and the only way to do that is get educated in it. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's not just for the point of salvation, but to continue to be saved. Keep reading, keep studying. Become educated in it and share, share it with people. Or, I'll say this one last thing, if you are struggling and you got somebody that you, I mean, hell is real. And if you think that they are lost, if you can confirm through their story they have never been baptized into Christ and you are nervous about it, please call me. I would love that and nothing else would make me happier than to have so many Bible studies that have to recruit people to help. So if you've got somebody and you want to talk about Jesus, we can do it subtly or we can do it boldly. But I'll help you. I think that that's, that's, there's too many people that are going to be lost on Judgment Day that I do not want laid at my feet. So if I can help you, please let me know. Let's work together and try to save Somerdale, and then hopefully eventually the world. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.
To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.